0: Well, good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, this is week 2 in our Christmas sermon series called Jesus, Light of the World. Uh, We're celebrating the four gifts that are celebrated during the season of Advent uh, that Jesus, the light of the world, brings into the world, His hope, His peace, His joy, and His love. And these are words that that are commonly talked about or used around this time of year. If you just listen around the Christmas time of year, by a lot of people, by different people, you'll see those words, hope, peace, joy, love. You'll see it sprinkled throughout the decorations uh, in secular businesses around. Uh, you'll hear those words used in Christmas movies or in the Christmas music that we're listening to. Uh, so a lot of people are familiar with those words, but just because you're familiar with something doesn't mean you truly understand something. All right? There are a lot of things people have misunderstandings about You know, even around Christmas time even in church about Christmas. Let me ask you, for example, this question. Uh, if I was to ask you, how many wise men are there? Many of you would maybe quickly answer three, right? But not so fast. The song, uh, We Three Kings of Orient Are, talks about three wise men, but the Bible doesn't mention three wise men. The Bible only talks about three gifts that were brought, All right? So scholars believe that Uh, with the way that those magi in that part of the ancient world would travel, that it was probably a big entourage that they traveled with, and uh, probably mixed into that group were several magi, a lot of wise men that were traveling and heading towards Jerusalem, right? That messes up a lot of our nativity scenes, right? So every Christmas, I try to convince my wife to let me make our nativity scene way more biblical, maybe use a bunch of Lego men and army men and a bunch of figurines to create a big entourage, but she hasn't done that yet. All right. uh, here's something else I learned this week. Uh, I've always assumed that the song Jingle Bells was a song that has always been a Christmas song. All right? But it was originally written by an American composer named James Lord, James Lord Pierpont, how about that name, uh, who wrote, that, uh, wrote it as a song in the 1850s for his Sunday school class about Thanksgiving, about the celebrating Thanksgiving. All right? So it's a song later on that you know some words were adjusted to fit the Christmas season. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, did you realize this, that when you see... Merry Xmas, Xmas, the letter X and then a M-A-S. Did you know that that was originally used as an abbreviation uh, for Merry Christmas? That the X in Xmas stands for Chi, uh, which, is a, Greek, uh, that, which means, is a Greek symbol that means Christ. All right, so now are there people who don't know that, who use that phrase kind of as a clever way to try to get Christ out of Christmas? Yes, but the joke's on them. <laughs> so next time you're in like a business and you see Merry Xmas, maybe instead of yelling, it's Christmas! Just go, hey, you know what the X stands for, right? Tease up a good little gospel conversation for you, all right? There, a, a lot of people aren't aware of that, but there are a lot of uh, things that people are familiar with that they, don't, that they lack a true understanding of. And at the top of the list, maybe the most important thing, the significant thing that people are familiar with at some level but lack a true understanding, a biblical understanding of, would be the meaning of why Christ came into the world, of, of who Jesus is of the work that he came to accomplish. A true biblical understanding of the the hope and the joy and and his love and and the light of his peace that he brought and brings into the world. Peace is what we're going to focus on this morning. You know, a lot of people talk about peace this time of year. A lot of people would say, I need peace. Maybe some people really recognize their need. For peace. Maybe some people would say, I want peace. Maybe some people would say, Hey, I think I have some peace, but there's so many people who really lack an understanding of the kind of peace that Jesus brings into the world and that He can bring into our life and the kind of peace that we celebrate at Christmas time. So we want to be in God's Word this morning. We want to allow God's word to teach us so that we can leave here with a clear understanding of the peace of God. Would you stand with your Bibles open? Philippians chapter four. I'm going to begin to read in verse 4. And this is a text that it's going to take us a few minutes to get back to this morning. But this will be at the heart of the message this morning. It says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Can we just say that first phrase, verse 4, together? Read it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. That was okay. I want you to turn it up a few notches. Let's do that again. Read it together. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, we realize today that this world would be a sad world without Christmas. God, we recognize that this would be a dark world if you had not sent your son, the light of the world, into this world to bring us hope and joy and peace and love. Lord, this would be a meaningless world without the way, the truth, and the life. But we're thankful for Christmas that you sent your son. We're thankful for the life that we find in him, the salvation we find in him, and for these gifts that you've given us through him. Or as we celebrate peace this morning, Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand what it is. And help us to learn to walk in it for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the peace of God is a central theme throughout all of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you see it talked about 400 times, over 400 times. And what Christmas time is, is it's a time that we celebrate the pinnacle moment when the Prince of Peace, the one who brings the peace of God into the world, was born. And this morning I want to give you two big truth statements that are going to help us outline this study. They're going to be our outline for the study this morning and guide our time through God's word. And uh, both of these have to do with this peace of God that the Prince of Peace brings into the world. Here's the first one, right? First truth this morning. The peace of God will be completely unleashed in our world one day in the future. The peace of God will be completely unleashed in our world in the future. Last week, we referenced a passage from Isaiah chapter 9. 700 years before Jesus was born into this world under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah. It's what we call a messianic prophecy. you got all kinds of them throughout the Old Testament. And this is what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah nine six: For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince... Of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right. So Isaiah is prophesying that the that the Messiah is going to be given all kinds of titles, showing us who he is. He says wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. And then he says this. He's the prince of peace who will come, in verse 4, if you back up a little bit in that passage, in verse 4, it gives you an idea of what this Prince of Peace is going to come and do, that he's prophesying about. In verse 4, that same chapter, Isaiah 9, it says, he will come and break the yoke of humanity's burden. He will break the yoke of humanity's burden. Now, what does that mean? What's a yoke? You're like, I know what that is. That's the yellow stuff in the middle of the egg, right? Before you break it open, make some scrambled eggs. It's a different kind of yoke that Isaiah is talking about right here. He's talking about, it's an ancient farming uh, piece of equipment that was a big beam that had some collars that were built into it and it would be put around the the necks of two uh, or more farm animals and it would attach them together to allow the farmer to keep control of them so he could farm his fields. And uh, so it controlled the animal, it weighed them down. to the animal, that's a very burdensome thing to have on your life as an animal. And through the prophet Isaiah, what God is promising through this Messiah is that through this Messiah coming, this Prince of Peace, that he's going to take the yoke of conflict off the world. He's going to take the yoke of tragedy off the world, that the Prince of Peace will come and take the yoke of poverty off the world, the yoke of abuse off the world. And he's going to come and he's going to break it and he's going to take it off. It says, he's saying in this prophecy, he's saying that the government is going to be on the shoulders of this Prince of Peace, meaning the administration of this world and the ruling of this world will be on his shoulder. And Isaiah's prophesying how, when it's on his shoulder, when that perfect, good, benevolent king is ruling, that he will completely unleash the peace of God throughout all of the world. All right, you find that kind of promise all over the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uh, chapter 2 verse 4 It says that this Messiah will bring peace between nations in such a way That it says the people there in uh, verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 2 Will beat their swords into plowshares So you may have heard that phrase before this a, It comes from the Bible will beat their plows into, will beat their swords into plowshares. Meaning this, that the Messiah, when he comes, will be, bring such complete peace to the world that the nations will take their swords, their weapons, that they're not going to need anymore, and they'll take the metal from those weapons and they'll repurpose them into farming tools that they'll use to grow food from the ground. Why will they do that? Because they're not going to need them anymore. Because war will be no more. That's what the Prince of Peace comes to do. To bring peace, to bring a geopolitical peace to the world. That's what Isaiah is prophesying about. Now, as you read these type of Messianic prophecies here in Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament, you're going to stop at some point. You're going to go, wait a second. As I look around the world, as I watch the news this morning, as I see the conflict happening all over, it doesn't seem like this kind of peace has come to the world. It's, It's saying that the Prince of Peace is supposed to bring this kind of peace into the world, and yet I don't see that happening. I see war, and I see conflict, and I see tragedy all over the place. That's exactly right. Because Isaiah and the other prophets in the Old Testament are talking about a peace that the Messiah will bring that's not fully realized, this complete geopolitical peace where shalom will cover the earth. They're talking about a kind of peace that's not going to be fully realized until the second coming of Christ. Until the second Christmas that will be fully realized when Jesus comes again. In other words, Jesus came the first time in the quiet of the night as a baby in the manger, but He's coming again as a risen King to set up His kingdom of complete peace, geopolitical peace. No more conflict. No more war. Shalom. Peace will cover and flood the earth completely. Listen to how the future world is described in Isaiah 11, verse 6. Just how unusual this is to us, but how awesome and glorious it is. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 11, verse 6. It's a world where it says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the goat. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. That's got to be a misprint in your translation because the Bible doesn't say that. It says when the Jesus comes back, it doesn't say that the leopard will lay down with the goat. It says that the lion will lay down with the lamb, except for it doesn't say that. That's actually not in the Bible, right? It actually says the leopard will lay down with the goat. The whole line and land thing is an adaptation of that verse. Well, I think it would be better if it said line and land. That would be way more picturesque if it was written that way. But we didn't write it that way. God wrote it that way. And it's probably better for God to write the Bible and not us. We're not God. And for some reason, he thinks it's better for it to say leopard lays down with the goat, But what it is, is it's a picture. you got a picture of the leopard laying down with the goat. And it goes on in that verse to say, And the calf and the lion are fattened together, and a little child will lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and they shall not hurt or destroy at all my holy mountain. That's an incredible picture. It's unusual. It surpasses our understanding. But it's true that Christ is going to come and the fullness of the peace of God is going to be so completely known throughout this world that there will be geopolitical peace, that people will be turning their weapons into gardening tools, and there will be such a sense of peace that will permeate all of creation that creatures that normally tear each other apart will be getting along. Won't do that anymore. One day, the peace of God will fall on this earth in such a way that it will transform everything. No wonder that Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, Jesus' uncle in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, says that Jesus, this Messiah, he gives his own prophecy, will guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus comes to make peace. One day he's coming back again to bring complete peace to the earth. Now you may be thinking, well, if Jesus is coming again to bring complete peace to the earth at his second coming, well, then what kind of peace does he bring at his first coming? What kind of peace are we celebrating that he brings? At Christmas time, at his first coming into the world? That's a great question. And here's the answer Second coming, he comes to bring, bring complete peace to this world. His first coming, he comes to bring complete peace to your soul. If you know Jesus, you have peace for your soul. I want to remind you of something this morning. That if you have peace in your soul, if you've met Jesus, it means that you He's brought peace to your soul. And if that's true, what I want you to do is I do want you to think about that future world of peace. That world that He's coming to establish where Shalom will be unleashed in all the world. And this is what's true this morning. This is what I want you to to grab onto. If the Prince of Peace, who's coming back to bring complete peace to this world, is the Lord of your life right now and has brought peace to your soul, then the peace we see that will be unleashed then should be springing up and splashing out of our lives right now. It should be springing up. We should be seeing glimpses of that future kingdom. In our own life, flashes of it consistently growing in our own lives. And such an unusual peacefulness should be coming up out of our lives that our neighbors should be seeing that and be taken off guard by it. It's a peace that passes all understanding. And this is stuff we've got to be thinking about at Christmas time. So, one day the peace of God will be unleashed in our world in the future. That's true. And point two is this because of Christmas. The peace of God can be unleashed right now in our lives in the present. All right? Now, how does Jesus, the Prince of Peace, create and unleash peace, peace in our life right now? What does that look like? Well, when we're talking about experiencing the peace of God right now, that's, it's available to us. It's something we can walk in right now. We've got to begin with this. In order to experience the peace of God, first you have to experience peace with God. So I want to talk for a moment about what I'm going to call vertical peace. All right, Romans 5, are you at peace with God? If you're not at peace with God through Christ, you can't experience the peace of God in your life, and in your home, and in your heart, and in your relationships. Do you have vertical peace with God this morning? Romans 5, a passage that we looked at last week, shows us that apart from the grace of God, apart from a relationship with Jesus, you're not at peace with God. In fact, the Bible says it this way. It says you're actually, without Christ, in your sin, you're at war with God, enmity with God. You're a person who needs peace. You say, well, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't have a problem with God. You know, I, I think God, the idea of God doesn't bother me. If I had such a problem at war with God, is that serious? If I had a problem with God, would I be here this morning? Maybe you're thinking that this morning. I'm fine with God. Listen, you know, what? the, re- the real issue isn't, am I fine with God? What the real issue is, is is God fine with me? Think about that. The real issue isn't, am I fine with God? The real issue is, is God fine with me? I mean, I don't think God's up there on pins and needles right now hoping He meets the approval of Jonathan Revis this morning. And He's not hoping that He meets the approval of you or anyone. The question is, does He approve of me? That's what we should be on pins and needles about. And the Bible shows us, listen carefully, don't lose me like track with me the bible shows us that if you're going to meet the approval of god as a human being and be the approved human that he has created you to be you know what it takes it takes you following his commands his perfect law laid out in the bible perfectly that's what it takes you say wait a second perfectly that's you heard me right Perfectly, You say, wait, you mean to tell me that you Christians in this church, that you have the approval of God by keeping the law perfectly? No. That's just it. We've all royally messed it up. We're all right there with you and what you feel right now in your heart. As you think about trying to line your life up perfectly, we blow it. You can't get to the first of the Ten Commandments without understanding you have royally messed it up. We've miserably miserably failed and fallen short of the glory of God and, stood, and we all stood as enemies of God. I stood as an enemy of God at war with God, enmity with God without His acceptance and without His approval on my way to experiencing an eternity apart from Him receiving His eternal wrath for my sin had I not met Jesus. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by what faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Christmas. That Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, left His throne humbly and selflessly stepped into this world and lived perfectly and died sacrificially, sacrificially and rose from the dead after the third day victoriously. And on the cross, he received God's wrath for your sin and for my sin and for anyone's sin who would trust in him as their personal Lord and Savior. And if you've done that, you you can go. You can do that this morning. You can go from being an enemy of God to being at peace with God to being a friend of God simply by placing your faith in what Jesus did on the cross in your place. That's the good news of Christmas said it last week and i'm gonna beat that drum again you ready the real message of christmas isn't the manger it's not the donkeys it's not the star in the sky it isn't the wise men the real message of christmas is the cross if you take away the cross then the christmas and, and nativity and the baby in the manger it's just one other christmas tradition to add to the other ones that don't really matter you take the cross out of Christmas. You take the gospel out of Christmas. You take what Jesus grew up to do out of Christmas. You just got another tradition. You can just write, put right there with Frosty, the snowman and Rudolph and a bunch of other traditions that really at the end of life don't mean anything. And I love Rudolph. I love Frosty, right? I love, we, we love, we have fun with Santa Claus at my house, right? Listen, I'm not one of those Christians that say right, we shouldn't partake in that pagan stuff. Hey, if that's what you want to call it, I like some of that stuff especially the candy and the cookies and the and the parties and the Christmas movies and the eggnog and all that stuff. Hey, later tonight after we have a, the Christmas concert over in the sanctuary, hey, we'll probably go home. Hey, we'll probably turn on a Christmas movie, probably turn on Elf, watch Elf, eat some some snacks, have a, sit by our our fake fireplace with the stockings on a mantle, you know, with all the lights twinkling in the house with the decorations. I'll get me a big glass of 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 good, you know, from heaven southern comfort vanilla spice eggnog if you know you know some of you don't know you need to find out and, and I'll eat some gingerbread cookies that my mom sent with us the other night and we're going to have fun why because it's fun don't be a killjoy but at the same time if you take the cross out of Christmas all you have is a bunch of tradition all you, all you have is all that stuff I just mentioned which is a bunch of cheesy commercialized consumer oriented fluff but as Christians we don't have that Because Christians have Christmas, which is the story, the real story of a Savior who was born in a real manger in the real town of Bethlehem, who was en route to a real cross where he bled and he died to make peace between sinners and God. That is the real ultimate peace that you need in your soul today. And it's available to you through Christ. Peace with God. See, some of you are here, you don't have a relationship with God, and you think that the ultimate thing you need today to get some peace in your life is for your wife to be nicer to you. Or for your husband to be more understanding. Or for your finances to be healthier, for your kids to behave. You have a long list that you think is going to bring some real peace into your life, but none of those things will bring the deep soul peace that you desperately long for and desperately ultimately need, and that is peace with God. And once you have vertical peace with God, Then what happens is the peace of God. Peace with God first. Then you get to experience the peace of God that does impact different areas of our life. So if you know Jesus and you have access to the peace of God this morning, now I'm turning my attention to you. And I want you to lean in. Because I want us to recognize something about the peace of God that we have access to today as Christians who have peace with God. I want you to understand that the peace of God is an inward peace we talked about vertical peace i want to spend a few moments talking about inward peace because this is where i think a lot of we forget even as believers this very important part about what it means to experience the peace of god right? so now that i have experienced the peace with god i experienced the peace of god but so often we can talk about it like this hey i've experienced the peace with god so now god bring on the peace shower some peace on my life Give me some of your peace. And so often what we mean when we say it that way is we're talking about peace in a negative way in the sense that we think peace means the absence of something. Like peace is the absence of conflict. That the peace of God is the absence of crowded stores and crazy traffic. The peace is the absence of dysfunction in my relationships. The peace of God is the absence of violence. We often define peace as something I don't have. And we think that if I don't have certain kind of circumstances, then there's no way that I have peace right now. And really what we're doing is we're looking for what I would call circumstantial peace. And we forget one day we will have circumstantial peace. That is on the horizon for us in Christ Jesus. That Jesus is coming back and we are going to get to experience a circumstantial peace when shalom is unleashed on this world. But right now, the peace of God that He unleashes in the world is an inward peace that He unleashes in the lives and in the hearts of His children that we can experience regardless of what our circumstances look like. It's not a peace that's contingent on our circumstances. So it's not a negative term. The peace of God is not the absence of something. It's a positive term. It's something supernatural you possess. And it's something you can't ever lose. And can't be taken from you. Because it's something that comes from God. And God, you can't ever lose God. In Christ. Are you walking in the peace of God this morning? Are you gripped by the gift of the peace that Jesus brings into this world? And into the lives of believers? Or are you gripped by the opposite of peace? Is your mind and your heart more often ruled by the opposite of peace? You say, well, what is that? Well, back to Philippians 4. I told you we'd get back there. Look again at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Another way you can look at that verse, maybe some of your translations, it reads this way. Be anxious about nothing. Be anxious about what? Be anxious about what? Nothing. That was still kind of okay. Be anxious about what? Nothing. What's the opposite of peace? It's anxiousness. Now, I want to. Before I get into this, I want to insert a caveat right here. What we're not doing this morning is we're not denying that for some people there can be a medical component at play at times that contributes to feelings of anxiousness. I spent a lot of time studying this. Listen, we're not gonna, we're not that kind of church. I did a whole study on it on Wednesday nights uh, here recently and you can come talk to me and I can, we, we can walk through uh, what wh- that, if you're kind of struggling with understanding if there's a medical component at play in your life when it comes to the anxiousness that's dominating your life, we can help you, uh, you know, walk through that. Right, so we're not we're not denying that. Like people experience illness of the mind in the same way that people experience illness of the body, and sometimes with your mind, God chooses to bring healing through spiritual solutions that are working in concert with medical solutions. But with that said, we're not denying that that can be the case for some people. So hear that clearly. Hope that's clear. But with that said, I want you to listen. There are tons of anxious anxious thoughts and feelings that dominate the lives of tons of believers throughout the world and maybe in this room that are purely spiritual issues that can be addressed and dealt with through the spiritual solutions that Paul is giving right here. And that's what he's talking about. And we we, we need this because we are all very anxious people. And Christmas has a way of magnifying anxiety, doesn't it? Like Financial burdens are magnified. Uh, grief is often magnified around this time of year. Feelings of bitterness in relationships is often magnified as you're thinking about having to sit at the table with a family member maybe even who sinned against you and wounded you maybe years ago and it creates anxiety in you. And we can get very anxious. We all at some level struggle with this and yet the Bible says this about our struggle with anxiety. Don't do it. Don't do it. What Paul is saying, don't dismiss it as some lesser than sin that's not as serious as, hey, hey, I'm not doing anything else in my life. I'm not doing like crazy immoral things in my life that's going to destroy my family. It's just a little anxiousness. That's not what Paul... Hey, Paul would fight back against that. He'd say, no, do not be anxious. This is a command that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And to tolerate that, the Bible would say is a sin. And you say, well, how do I... How do I begin to experience victory over this? Well, one I'd say, begin to allow your heart to see anxiousness through the lens of Scripture and to see the foolishness in it. Let me give you a, a definition of anxiety this morning. It's very short. It's something to write down. Here's what you know what anxiety is? Anxiety is this. It's borrowed stress. It's borrowed stress. Have you noticed we're rarely anxious and dominated by anxiousness about something in our present? that we're usually anxious about something from our past. We're usually most often, you know, anxious about something in our future. And so what anxiety is, is it's stress on loan. Like when we're anxious, we're borrowing tomorrow's stress. It's imagining our future reality in the worst possible scenario and then we're freaking out about it, right? So, so I'm going to sit here today and I'm going to imagine everything that could go wrong in my life tomorrow and I'm going to plan on that fictional scenario that I just came up in my mind with to, to happen tomorrow and to unfold. Whether that's imagining the most disastrous scenario related to me caring for aging parents coming to pass. Or imagining my wayward child never coming back to Christ. Or imagining my, my retirement not being in the right place when I retire. Or uh, imagining me not getting into that school. Or imagining me not getting or, um, that job or losing that job. And, it, and this is what we do. This is what we do in our sinfulness. Is we, take all, we, we take our eyes off the sovereignty of God. And we, we, we look at our circumstances and we take all that stress from all of these fictional realities that we create in our mind that we drum up and it's like we put them in this big mixing bowl. We just kind of mix up all that stress where right? we pour it all into a pan and it's like we put it into the oven and just let it build up and bake up in our hearts and then we just snack on that stress all day long. Just snack on that worry all day long. L- listen to me carefully. Don't hear me wrong. It is good to work hard and to prepare for your future and for you to feel a little urgency about working hard and preparing for your future. Proverbs talks about that. Some of us maybe need a little more urgency when it comes to those types of things. Proverbs says it's honoring to God to plan for your future and to work hard and to prepare. But while we do that, we should never borrow tomorrow's stress and worry about things that may or may not happen tomorrow. Paul, it's clear, be anxious about Nothing. That is a command. Listen, I don't want to heap a bunch of condemnation on you if you struggle with this this morning, but if this is an area in your life that you're not seeking and pursuing victory in right now in your relationship with Christ, the Prince of Peace, I do want you to feel the conviction through the teaching of God's Word, the power of the Holy Spirit that's sitting around and snacking on worries wrong. And it's serious, and it's sin. And it's not something that we're to tolerate in our life. And when we do tolerate that sin in our life, we're robbing our life of experiencing the abundant life that's available to us in Christ. What are you anxious about this morning? What is it? What's that scene that you replay from your past over and over again? What's that scene that you you project and kind of come up with in your mind into your future? What is it? I want you to look at me this morning. Whatever that anxiousness is, Whatever it is, whatever it's related to, are you in Christ this morning? You can experience victory in that area. You can experience a diminishing of that anxiety in your life, in Christ. Some of you are thinking, I mean, you don't, that's easy for you to say. You're not my shoes, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know how hard this, this is, that, uh, the stuff that I'm walking through. You don't, you don't know what I'm dealing with with my kids. You don't know what I'm dealing with with my job. You don't know what I'm dealing with with my family. You don't know what I'm dealing with in my marriage and, and, the, and the, the stress that I'm dealing with with the conflict there. You don't understand what I'm dealing with with my spouse's ex or with my ex. You don't understand the problems I'm dealing with with my finances, whatever it is. You don't understand what I'm going through. You're right, I don't understand. But God does. And God sent His Son. To this earth in the first place to come be one of us to come for us to be with us and to bring real inward uncircumstantial peace into your life that can kill and slay anxiousness and fear and worry. This is a truth that we celebrate at Christmas time. It's a peace that's been afforded to us as a gift from Jesus Christ. Well, the question is: Is how do we experience it? Let me spend the last few minutes I have this morning talking about the experience of peace. And let's let that, those few verses of Scripture help us this morning. Look at verse 6. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So what I want to talk about, if we talked about the opposite of peace, now I want to talk about the experience of peace. Don't you love practical advice? I I, I love that. And what Paul gives us right here is some very practical ways that we can experience the peace of God. And it's three disciplines. You need to write this down because if you're anything like me, you're going to get to lunch and you're going to forget about half of the things that we talked about this morning. You need to write this down because when anxiousness and stress and worry rears its ugly head, this will give you something to go back to. So three disciplines, they each start with R. Here's what they are. The first one is this. It's not right here explicitly in this verse, but it's all over Scripture. And it's the word repent. Repent of any sin in your life. that's against the Lord right now. There are, it sounds simple... But it is true that there are times in our life when the anxiousness that rules us, that the worry that dominates us, that the stress that's in our mind and in our hearts is related to unconfessed sin. Some unconfessed sin in our life. So we begin with repentance. Number two, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. When does it say to rejoice in the Lord? When does it say to rejoice in the Lord? Not just in the good times, also in the bad times. Rejoice. He puts it here twice just so it gets through our kind of thick skulls, right? Again, I will say rejoice. This is the way it works. This, This is what he's saying. In every situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in, we can find real reasons in our circumstance to resent those circumstances or we can find reasons to rejoice no matter how bad our circumstances are. You know why this this command right here, rejoice, to to rejoice, is a command right here in the middle of a passage that's dealing with the sin of anxiety? You know why it's here? It's because rejoicing is some of the best medicine for an anxious heart. Because, see, here's the reality as believers living in this world, kind of living in between the first Christmas and the second Christmas. The reality that we exist in as believers, until we get to heaven or until Jesus comes back, my life is going to, even as a believer, and sometimes my problems will get worse. Sometimes my faith will bring problems and troubling circumstances into my life. But as believers living in a broken world, we are going to find our life colliding and encountering the brokenness of this world. Broken circumstances, broken dreams, tragedy, broken relationships, circumstances that I can't change, circumstances out of my control. And in those moments, I'm going to be tempted to resent my circumstances and to complain about my circumstances. My circumstances are going to tempt me to turn myself into a victim to walk around like like an Eeyore all the time. And what Paul is teaching us and what he's also modeling for us through the way he's living his life as we remember he's writing this letter from a prison cell. After just getting word that the church that he planted in Philippi is in shambles because of people arguing. That what Paul is teaching us and modeling for us is that resentment... And that complaining about my circumstances, that should never mark my life as a believer. No matter how difficult things are, no matter how painful things are, there are always blessings to count in Christ Jesus. There are always truths about me and my life in Christ that are untouched by my bad circumstances that I can always rejoice in. And at the top of that list is the truth that Jesus came to this earth to fix my biggest problem and that's my sin problem and He snatched my soul out of the grimy, slimy death of Satan and He saved me and He made me new and He made me an heir and He made me a new creation and that's a truth that I can rejoice in today. And it's a truth so big And so glorious and so powerful that you could take everything away from me in this life. And as I think on and dwell on and rejoice in that truth that I have Jesus, I realize I'll I'll be just fine. I can actually experience a contentment, a joy. And you say, well, what is that? The peace of God being unleashed in your life a peace that can lift you up and hold you up and sustain you and pull you forward and buoy your heart in the craziest of storms in this life listen there's a time that we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to just decompress and to talk through things and to express things that we're frustrated with. I'm not saying that that we, we have a real family that we can talk things out with and get real with but can I just be real with you this morning And I say this to you, and I say this to me, that so often, so often, we can be on such a hunt for circumstantial peace that is never promised us in this life. Man, that we get to whining, and griping, and complaining like a bunch of spiritually immature little kids. Who need to grow up and get our eyes on Jesus. Who need to grow up and remember we're called believers. Believers don't, hey, if we believe that this world's not our home, if we believe that Jesus is coming back, if we believe that we're here for just a vapor of a time, if we believe that we're not here to find our, our soul satisfaction in the things of this world and in our circumstances being just right. Then I'll stop panicking. I'll stop resenting my circumstances. I'll stop complaining like the world is all that there is. I want to ask you a hard question this morning. What if God never gives you relief from that problem you're experiencing right now? What if He never removes the thorn from your flesh? What if He never solves that problem? On this side of eternity, will it be enough just to be loved by Him? Is it enough For you to be called a child of God? Is it enough for your sins to be forgiven? Is it enough to be saved and known by the Lord? If you can sincerely rejoice in that truth this morning and kind of lift your eyes and take a deep breath and agree with that and rejoice in it, you'll literally experience the melting of anxiety and stress and worry in your heart this morning. Let me also ask you this. What if, what if God in His sovereignty has you in those difficult circumstances for a reason? What if you realize this morning that it's eternity where I'm promised to have circumstantial peace and that the point of this life is not to have a problem-free life, that the point of this life is to be on mission for Christ. And sometimes the greatest light that you will shine is you as a believer walking through broken dream after broken dream, after one fire, after another fire, and yet through it all remaining stubbornly committed to rejoicing in the Lord and supernaturally stuck on the truth that Jesus is enough. Now, do we pray God brings miracles into our life? And does God break through in supernatural ways? Absolutely. And when He does those things within your heart in this place, you know what it turns into? A much greater and more sincere worship service when He does. Repent, rejoice. And the last thing this morning is request. Request. Help from the Lord. So repent, rejoice, and request. Look at that all over verse six prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. At the conclusive language, notice that Paul uses there that we're that we're to be anxious about what? Nothing. And what are we to pray about? Everything. Be anxious about no thing, but in all things with thanksgiving. Make your request be known to God. Let me ask you when you feel the imminent attack of anxiety coming on. What are you inclined to do? Are you inclined to, to first freak out? To call a friend? To jump into something, whether it's your phone, or whether it's Reels or Facebook? To ease the stress, to escape the anxiety? Or do you tap in to the really good medicine that God has also given for our heart, and anxiousness in our heart, and that's prayer. Sincere prayer. That's one of our seven values here at our church. Sincere prayer. Honest, Sincere prayer that may look like this, God, I'm freaking out right now. God, I don't know what you're doing right now. God, I'm, I'm so frustrated. I'm so worried. I'm so anxious. I don't know what to do. You're like, you can be that honest with God? Oh yeah, read the Psalms. It gets pretty dicey. It gets really raw. God, I don't understand what you're doing, but then you pray God's word. But I do believe your word says that you are sovereign. Your word says you're working all things for good. For your glory and my good. Your word says you control it all. And I want to rest in your sovereign arms as I'm going through this time. Help me to believe those things, God. Help my unbelief. Hey, When you're anxious, shape your worries into a prayer. When you're lying in bed, in your current circumstances, have you feeling overwhelmed? And the bad scenarios about your future are just on repeat and are replaying. Take those worried thoughts and shape them into a prayer. Cast your anxieties on Him. It says in 1 Peter, because He cares for you. For many, a lack of peace that you're experiencing in your life can be connected to a lack of prayer. Sincere prayer. And you can begin experiencing the medicine that is for an anxious heart this morning with this simple prayer, God help me. That's not just some Christian cliche. That's a biblical discipline for peace. Shaping your worries into the prayer, God help me. What are you anxious about today? Look at me. We're not victims. We're victors in Christ. The peace of God can be unleashed in your heart. You say, how? Here's something you can do this morning. Repent, rejoice, request. I can't promise that everything's going to go away. This is a part of our sanctification, but I can promise you this morning that you take sincere steps in that direction of repenting of your sin, of rejoicing in the Lord, and requesting His help. You will experience the melting of anxiousness in your heart, of stress in your life, of worry in your life your mind what are you anxious about repent rejoice and request and when you do what does it say that the peace of god that surpasses all understanding does it say it might the peace of god that surpasses all understanding maybe will it's a biblical promise will guard you and keep your heart and mind in christ jesus praise god for peace with god and through the work of Jesus Christ and Him sending His Holy Spirit into our life, the peace of God that we can experience that's not circumstantial, that we can experience no matter what we walk through. Let's pray this morning. I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. Number one, do you need vertical peace this morning? Do you need vertical peace? peace with God, that's available to you and can be received this morning, you say how? by looking back at what Jesus did on the cross he died in your place on that cross, do you believe that? do you believe that his death and him bearing the sins of the world there counted for you are you ready to receive that? in order for you to be reconciled with God and you to be saved and you to experience forgiveness and new life. If that's where you're at this morning, if you need vertical peace, I'm going to be standing out front and we sing. I'd love, I'd love to speak with you. I'd love to pray with you. i to be worried about what people think. Everybody in this room is going to celebrate that with you. And we'd love to walk through the scriptures and show you what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Let me ask believers this morning, do you have internal peace this morning? Maybe you've been so focused on circumstances and circumstantial peace, you've failed to to, to recognize that the peace of God is available to you. And maybe He has you in the situation you're in. that is squeezing you and putting pressure on you to draw you to Him and to drive you to the sufficiency of God and to remind you that He's the reward. He is enough. And when you can get to that place of contentment and satisfaction, you know what that is? That's the peace of God unleashed in your life. And when you're there, let me tell you, when He does show up and He does show out, it makes it all the more glorious when you experience those things from a place of peace with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you need relational peace I, don't, I didn't have time to get into that this morning that's a whole other sermon in and of itself that when you have peace with God and you're experiencing internal peace that you can experience relational peace you say well there's some relationships listen I'm just done with them there ain't no way those are ever being healed okay well if the prince of peace is in your life one day he's going to come and he's going to make the leopard lay down with the goat which is really unusual in glorious peace I think he maybe can bring some peace to some relationships in your life. Bring those to him this morning. Pray that he'll allow you as you think about how Jesus forgave you and gave you the grace and mercy you didn't deserve. How he's positioned you to extend that same grace and mercy to those broken relationships and even people who have hurt and harmed you. Praise God for the peace of God that we can walk in, that we can experience. We thank God for that as we think about Christmas.